0: Hello, everyone out there, and welcome back to Kairos. I am pleased to be here today with Dr. Andrew Pfeiffer. What can you say about this guy? He's just been like a father to me. (laughs) Dad, good to have you on the the channel. Good good to be here, Jeff. (laughs) Um, And we are here today to talk about healthy church and healthy ministry. Dad, before we get into the actual content of um, what we want to talk about today, perhaps you can just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and um, your ministry.
1: Okay, Josh, uh, good to be here. Um, I've been teaching pastoral students for many years, i so probably over 25 years now. And uh, so clergy care and uh, helping students in their formations has been part of my work for a long time. In recent years, I was elected assistant bishop and um, And so the interest in uh, supporting and encouraging clergy and particularly ensuring that their ministry uh, can be uh, one of joy as much as possible and also one that's sustained into the future for the sake of themselves and the church and the people they serve um, has been a a focused interest Mm. in the last few years. Mm. Uh, Right back in my training as a student, one of my lecturers gave me a book on uh, clergy self-care to, to read and review. Uh, and so it's been something that's been part of me for a long time. Mm.
0: And I think, as someone who's, who's um, been close to you over the years, it's, 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 it's obvious too that I think this has um, been one of the things you've really enjoyed in, in your callings. You know, like you've had all sorts of responsibilities in the wider church, um, but when I see you travel around, talk to pastors, encourage pastors who are doing it tough, I think it's fair to say that's something that you've naturally gravitated to and, and have enjoyed. Very much so, mm. very much so, yeah. Um, and so this has led then to a recent uh, conference that you spoke at um, mm-hmm. and um, spoke to a pastor's conference in the United States, I believe, and there were some papers connected with that. And it was in reading these that I thought there would be some, some good stuff there to, to talk about. Uh, I think one of them was called Healthy Church, Healthy Ministry. Another one about, um, about endurance in ministry. Particularly at a pastor's conference, but I guess has wider applicability to ch- other church workers and to and to all Christians at one level or another. So before we get right into the meat of that, I guess what sits behind that a little bit is that um, pastors often don't feel like they're in such a healthy place spiritually or in ministry. They don't feel their their congregations are necessarily, um, you know, going along as healthily as they they might like to think. Um, and i 'm wondering whether you think there may be particular factors that contribute to that in our day that are, are maybe make it more acute you know are there, are there factors in society or culture that make being a pastor um, tough these days
1: yeah I think that there's some <clears throat> excuse me there's some big issue items um, and then some issues there that I think are part of anyone 's ministry when you 're working with people the, the big issues probably are things like uh, the place of the church in in society, which has changed a great deal, very quickly, very rapidly here in Australia in the last decade, I think, uh, where many times the church and perhaps pastors and leaders feel like they're a bit more on the edge than they were being in the centre uh, and being looked to for teaching and for guidance in society, now you've got to find your space.
0: So you, you've been a pastor for how many years? Uh, a while. <laughs> and so have you, you've seen this change in your own ministry fairly fairly clearly?
1: Yeah, very much. Uh, uh, Although in the early years I was very much parish pastor and so uh, my observations in recent years have been more from a distance Mm. perhaps in the parish. But um, yeah, no, I think the shift from uh, the church being looked to uh, for its opinion to to needing to find its place in the public square Mm. and uh, think about how then it communicates and and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's an external Sort of pressure, I think, in some ways. Uh, question of religious freedom is on our on our agenda here in Australia. Um, I think some of the uh, what I call the internal stuff are things like uh, just you know, ongoing conflict when you're working with people. Mm. Um, mm. Perhaps a more modern one is the uh, the, the blessing and, and uh, dangers of social media, mm-hmm. which can create. Issues for pastors and for their relationship with parishioners and things like that.
0: YouTube channels, podcasts. That's right. (laughs) We're part of it.
1: (laughs) So I think, um, yeah, so I I think in those terms of some things that, you know, the uh, the conflict and the human relations and working with people, that's part of the call, always Mm. has been. Um, But there's other sort of contextual factors now that I think. Mm. add to the difficulty sometimes. Mm. Mm.
0: Mm. I actually as a younger pastor enjoy hearing these sorts of reflections from older statesmen like yourself because um, I think I don't know any different of course you know and and so in my time in the ministry the church hasn't to my mind hasn't had a great deal of respect in society as a pastor I haven't ever felt like really someone looked to with any Mm. you know great respect in society it's just the way it is and um, and and when I hear other people talk about how this is actually a, a change and perhaps could contribute to extra stresses and and challenges in ministry, that's actually okay. That that's it's encouraging in a strange in a strange way for someone who um who doesn't know any different. Um,
1: and maybe that says that part of that is more difficult for my generation that's in the change. Um, mm. Maybe you've got mm. other issues that are going to create um, yeah. stresses for you, but the the shift for us culturally. Mm. Uh, has uh, meant that we 've had to think carefully about how we how we uh, message how we communicate mm. how we shepherd people mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: and so in that context then I guess the next step in my mind and and starting to get closer to the to the content of of your papers is how do people then tend to judge what would be a healthy ministry or a healthy congregation that might be you know, false paths, not so good yeah, ways to go. Yeah. Are, are there other are things in which people think, "Oh, that's a really healthy ministry. That's a really healthy church," which, humanly speaking, makes sense, but it's it's perhaps not um, so biblical.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, so much we could talk about there, but one thing I, uh, one book I, I read for my presentation was by Mark Seaby, uh, called "The Resilient Pastor," and uh, in that book, he actually talks about what he calls erroneous messages that come to uh, people's ears, pastors, church workers, and uh, he says erroneous messages come from three main sources, from the devil, the world, and surprisingly, the church itself, from other Christians. And that's the one that that, uh, that piqued my interest. Uh, and he says there are three uh, erroneous messages that come from fellow Christians that you need to be aware of as a pastor, as a church worker. And the first one is that tendency to compare one pastor to another pastor, and how much don't we hear that? Uh, the tendency to see the success of the church linked with an individual person. It might be the pastor, but it might be uh, a, a charismatic lay leader, mm-hmm. you know, in the true sense of a, of a strong person. Um, and then the tendency to, to compare or to judge congregational life by either other congregations or by high-profile um, uh, ministries that you see on TV, or, mm, or you mm. know, and he says all these sort of things are, are so common. And mm. even as I read it, I thought, yeah, I can I can resonate with those in my own self, mm. uh, and also amongst uh, 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 things I hear. But then you reflect on that in terms of the scriptures, and in each case, it's quite clearly spoken. As, as an error, yes, you know paul says, "Who am i who who is Apollos? Yeah. all this sort of thing. Mm. Uh, pastors and church workers are servants they 're called to do something to serve the people of God in a particular time, particular place, and it 's not about comparing me with you or any other mm. any other pastor so I think th- this was interesting reading this book, particularly in the area of resilience and endurance for pastors, because when you get down. I think the, and down in yourself, I think the tendency yourself is to do that, let alone mm. have other mm. people do it <laughs> to right. you, that you tend yourself to say, oh, you know,
0: maybe. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that um, comes to mind there is connecting back to what you said about our context of uh, social media and, and all of this stuff that we're doing, mm. and that, you know, we do tend to say we have far greater access to church. Churches big churches, big ministries around the world and all that sort of thing and so a lot of guys my age for example, would listen and watch um, talks online with with you know huge buildings, huge numbers of people um, and, and so I think this culture of the the online um, Christian presence perhaps contributes and makes this this worse you know because mm. you look at a place in different cultures, different all sorts of different contexts. And, and, and now you're comparing um, just something that's completely unrealistic and, and has a certain stage element to it anyway and all that.
1: Well, uh, yeah, and the issue is not, um, that ministry in itself is not the issue. No, no, no. The issue is taking that and, and using that as a mirror to what God has called and created here, right. which in many ways might be quite, um, quite small. Uh, it might be under-resourced uh, mm-hmm. in some ways, and yet it's what God has called together, and he's uh, promised to work with those people and to uh, give them what they need for the mission where he's called them. So, yeah. so um, yeah, again, it's something that, that in my day I didn't go on TV to see that, um, but it would still happen in terms yeah. of high-profile uh,
0: you had TV though back in your day. Uh, right? yeah. yeah, just, just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so if Paul... black and black and white. <laughs> so if Paul says um, it's not about following Paul or Apollos, or it's not about the individual personalities and all this. Um, so, what sorts of things do we find in the New Testament then that he he points to as signs of healthy ministry or or healthy church? And and I know that word, particularly the healthy word, is a big oh. one that comes up in, in oh. what you've been talking oh. about.
1: Yeah, well, this is where I, I uh, the core of what I'll been looking at is the pastoral epistles. And so uh, in uh, a number of occasions, Paul talks about what we translate as sound doctrine, um, healthy words, the pattern of sound words that build up the church. And uh, one of the the key things for me was in 2 Timothy, where he says uh, to Timothy, um, you know, guard what you've received, what you've received from me as your teacher. Uh, receive it and, and pass it on. And that's very much Paul's own approach. If you go back into um, into 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about the Lord's Supper, what I received from the Lord, I, I passed on. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, again, I received this and I pass it on. And what is it he receives there? Uh, in f- chapter 15, it's the... It's the good news of Christ Mm. and it goes right to the core that uh, things we take for granted, that Christ actually was born, that Christ lived and those who say he didn't come in the flesh uh, are not uh, teaching the healthy words and so on. Mm. So if you think of the pastorals themselves, I think very early on you have the confession around Christ and the things things that are to be taught, the healthy words about Christ. Uh, you then get some uh, fairly practical uh, instruction about the life of the church uh, and interestingly then I think you get some fairly down-to-earth wisdom about the way in which people are to relate to each other in uh, both families but also human relations. And so when you get to Titus you get that wonderful passage about um, uh, you know, the older men and the older women and the mm. younger men and the younger women and the way in which they're to relate to each other and to build each other up in, in yeah. healthy teaching and in healthy ways.
0: It's very interesting the way you talk about that because I, uh, I just recently read through 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus in preparation for um, a sermon and the things that stood out to me is, was first of all that this, the context is clearly largely about false teachers coming in and, that, and in contrast this then these are the sort of unhealthy mm-hmm. words and we need these healthy words that build up. Um, but then, very as you say, very earthy and practical, mm-hmm. and, and talking about situations that you think this could be—you know—my treasurer and my chairperson having mm-hmm. this little issue or whatever, and how you work through this this partially. Um, and and so it did. This exact dynamic struck me between um, these sound, healthy words, teaching, a, and real life how it relates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember this too. Another point in your paper, you you make the point that Paul explicitly says at one point that this. This sound doctrine is not—it's not an end in itself. Mm, I think. Mm, Do you remember this mm, this point and mm,
1: how you mm, put it? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, well, it's it's right there in the beginning in chapter 1, one, uh, First Timothy, where you know he commands uh, or he he exhorts Timothy to command people not to teach falsely, mm. uh, and he's got this shocking image, you know, that that, that uh, ungodly teaching is like gangrene for the body. <laughs> now that's a shocking image to think through, but that's the contrast he makes between. The ungodly and the healthy teaching that builds up the church, um, but then straight away he says, and the goal of this command is love. Yes. So the uh, we need to know what we teach. We need to know what we believe, teach and confess, as we express in the Augsburg Confession. Um, but the goal of that is not in itself. The goal of that is that the body is built up in faith towards God and love towards mm. one another. And that means that we keep that goal in mind as we believe teach, and confess, but I think it also means as pastors and church workers that we um, that we also minister with love as much as we 're able that we teach with gentleness and patience uh, the people of God, and that can be a, a more difficult call for yeah. for for us sometimes to um, to remember that as we confess and teach the healthy teaching that we are Working with the people of God, and mm. so the the, the loving uh, approach that we give in teaching that is also part of the message and part yeah. of the goal
0: of the message. I think. I think this is such an important point, and um, it was what really was something that stood out to me. And I was thinking about just often when we talk about this need for you know sound doctrine is one term, but healthy words is perhaps a more modern accessible way of thinking about it, but immediately people get nervous about you know the tendency perhaps to to idolize correct doctrine as an end in itself and mm, all this sort mm, of thing and just to mm. to keep in mind Paul's encouragement that this actually has a goal a trajectory beyond itself and it's actually love you know within within the body and and um, this is such an important emphasis I think and and you can't have one without the other and, and no
1: and I, and I think it's um, it, it helps then, in terms of pastoral wisdom built on that, to have a longer term view when you're working with people, right. because sometimes the, uh, uh, the the zeal of the of the true teaching wants you to sort of uh, get that across to someone as quickly as you can, you know. Yeah. And yet, in working with someone, it, it takes some time. It takes the spirit time to affect that uh, that faith and that confidence in the things of God. Um, but I think the other thing that helps is when you think about our own church, you think about, oh, let's come back to Luther's small catechism, uh, because here you've got a, a lovely summary of the core teachings of the Word, but grounded in practical life, mm. both in the congregation and in daily living. And it's that, that grounding in daily living that ensures, I think, that it's not just an abstract faith, but a faith that is... Uh, is shared to help people live, and to help people in their relationships, and to help them in, as I said, in faith towards God and love towards one another. Mm. Yeah.
0: And now you touched there on um, on this longer view in ministry and that sort mm. of thing. I know this was another another theme in your papers is is that of endurance and mm-hmm. where that fits in in connection with this sound teaching, these healthy words. Um, so I'm wondering if you can say a little bit more about the place of endurance in Healthy church, healthy ministry.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a big topic all in its own. That one, but mm. I think uh, just just two things for today. Um, in uh, in the pastorals, Paul talks to Timothy about a time when people will be uh, driven by their emotions, driven by their passions, and uh, where they may not even want or recognise uh, the, the healthy words. Mm. And he says. As for you, uh, in that situation, endure, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, get on with your ministry basically. Mm. It's interesting. So he doesn't say, try and change the circumstances, mm. you know, try and get out of it, go somewhere else. Look for uh, another call. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, but endure, endure hardship. Now the endurance is not so much in here as enduring in Christ, and Christ is our strength. Christ is the uh, one who enables us to take up the cross in difficult times of ministry. I contrast that a little bit with resilience, where um, when I talk to church workers sometimes about resilience, they hear it as a a burden of the law, as though they're not resilient and they Mm -hmm. have to get resilient. So just tell me the, the things I have to do to... Become more resilient, uh, and there's some good things to be to be learnt in in a lot of those books. Like Seaby's book, for example, has got some excellent things in it. But I think the idea of endurance is not so much an internal thing, but it's a gift that God gives you in Christ to be able to uh, bear the cross in the ministry that He's called you to. And so, if you think about uh, the Confessions, the Augsburg Confession talks about God. Uh, blessing those who who uh, take up His call and who seek to live in their call according to His will mm. and His promises of His word. I think that applies to pastors when they're in difficult contexts of ministry, uh, that God blesses them. Uh, he, he doesn't take the issues away sometimes, but enables them to endure mm. uh, in Christ. We're, we're not, by the way, talking about pastors being emotionless. Mm. or or emotionally detached or anything like that, but not to be driven in your decision-making and in your pastoral care by that, Mm. but to be able to sound-minded. Sound-mindedness is what Paul talks about. Uh, And the sound-mindedness comes from uh, being guided uh, by the Word and being guided by, by God as we seek to make decisions. So, you know, Solomon says to God, Give me a discerning heart, mm-hmm. a, 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 an ability to discern right and wrong. Give me the wisdom, mm-hmm. in other words. And, and so this comes from
0: outside of us. Yeah. I've got to say, this is another theme that has just been um, really quite important for me to grow into in my yeah. early early ministry. I think um, partly because of my age, but partly because of my temperament. Maybe I, was, my, I tended to, to focus on what was immediate, what was short term, what was you know exciting and and all that sort of thing and have very little longer view, um, you know. I remember even the first few meetings. I think in congregational life as a pastor, we talk about something, make a decision, and, um, and and I would think, oh great, you know. So when are we going to do this tomorrow, next we'll week, week, you know? We'll and then and then a couple of more months would go by, nothing much yeah. happened, and 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 so this gradual shift for me has been, I think, something like you know, basically going from thinking in sort of minutes and, and hours mm-hmm. and days to really weeks, years and decades, I mm-hmm. would say, in, in mm-hmm. terms of the the big picture. And and one of the things that did it for me was that experience, but also just reading the New Testament and seeing how many times words like endurance come up mm-hmm. in the Gospels, in That's the right. past, as you say, it's all over the yeah. place. Right. Yeah. It's been a significant shift for me.
1: Yep. Well, but it's, uh, the youthful zeal is not a bad thing sure. <laughs> and the church needs it. And, uh, but I think it's a maturing process to realise that uh, not everybody is operating at, at your pace. Uh, and so as a shepherd, part of our job is to, uh, to uh, get in step with uh, the pace of the people of God. And they do take time mm. sometimes and we also can learn from that. Uh, because sometimes they they uh, that time makes for a more mature response mm. makes for a more reasoned response. the very thing paul 's talking about makes for a more
0: sound minded response to the issue um, I mean the other thing that comes to mind is paul 's example himself in dealing with these things, although he says you know there 's this gangrenous stuff and mm-hmm. cast them over mm-hmm. to Satan on the other mm. hand, he writes you know two letters to the Corinthians that we know about, and apparently a third mm. if mm. however you read all of that. Over a number of years with all of these problems and, and in you know, these these things in the early church themselves taking years and years, later in the church, decades and decades and decades to work out all these problems at some mm-hmm. just the way it is.
1: And and for pastors and church workers, his letters are wonderful models. Mm. So always at the beginning you get the Gospel Grace Foundation. I always thank God for you when I think of you the faith you have and, and, uh, and all this. These are the very letters that later he says you know, mm. get your act together in terms of living more according to the, to the will of God and uh, don't be conformed to the ways of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These are hard words that come yeah. later on but they're built on the foundation of, uh, of genuine love and care for the people of God yep. and recognition that they are people of faith. Yep. Uh, even while they're still growing in their maturity and their understanding
0: of how to live that out. Mm. Um, and I know another um, theme that comes to mind from the paper which perhaps links this, you know, towards the end of this um, discussion back to where we started is is that of joy. You know, it mm. comes up a mm. bit in, in mm. this paper. And um, we talked at the start about, I guess, some of the things that can can um, cause a lack of joy in, in some ministry and, and church life. Um, but what do you? Can you comment on the connection between this these sound words, this sound-mindedness, and joy?
1: Mm, mm. Um, yeah. Well, I did some work on joy in the ministry a number of years ago for uh, for pastors in the LCA, and there's been quite a bit of research recently on clergy wellness and clergy health, uh, and all of those things uh, speak clearly to the fact that pastors find their greatest joy in the core callings of the mm-hmm. ministry. Now on the one hand that's no surprise but on the other hand uh, the question then is well, why do we struggle to find joy in our ministry because if this is the core calling the church has asked us to this task of whether it's preaching or teaching or pastoral care uh, mission and outreach, uh, if that's the core calling then why don't we always find joy? And uh, The recognition that there are so many joy sappers (laughs) that I call uh, in the ministry, some which you can't do much about. They're simply a fact of living in in an organization, um, living with uh, issues we need to attend to, compliance issues and things like that. Um, But other things that perhaps are are to do with congregations and pastors not really having thought through how to release their pastor for the core calling, and what they might be able to pick up that pastors are currently doing mm-hmm. uh, and find that it just just sucks the joy out of them. Uh, I had a delightful experience in one of the districts where a, a, a person said they enjoy administration. And uh, I said, well, you can come and work with me in my <laughs> parish anytime you like. Um, but his point was, this is a gift God has given me and I am happy to serve the church in that way uh, uh, in order for you, pastor, to be able to uh, pray for us in your daily pastoral prayer. Teach us, spend time in the Word so that you can bring the Word to us. So I think um, it's just a reminder for us that the joy in the ministry comes from going back to our ordination, going back to our letter of call and discovering again what it is that God's called us to uh, and then working with the help of others to make time in our life so that the uh, core tasks are what are taking our core energy. And uh, the joy is, again, in firstly being a child of God, isn't it? And then being called as that child into the ministry to to serve God in this way. Um, So our joy is in Christ just like our endurance is in Christ, isn't
0: it? Mm, indeed, this healthy churches, healthy ministry. We've touched on various aspects of it. Um, anything that we've missed? Anything else you want to comment on? It's
1: just a word of encouragement to those that are doing it a little bit uh, difficult. Um, if I might, if, yeah, if I might do. close with that, mm. um, I I think the it took me many years to realise that the constant engagement with people, uh, for some personalities, can be very very demanding. Uh, and uh, the self-care that's needed to um, make that a long-term ministry, to recognise how much you're giving, how much you're receiving from other people and how debilitating that can be. And um, someone like Bev Yankee has talked about emotional fatigue uh, that uh, people who work with people have as part of their life. So if you recognise some of these things or the debilitating effects of conflict uh, that I mentioned before, um, and what was one of the other things I mentioned, social media and the sorts of ways in which that's a blessing for ministry, but also can create some difficulties. If you recognize these things, I think the important thing is to uh, to address them as much as you can, and I'd mention two or three things. One is that we're not alone. So as pastors, the the, the Good Shepherd prays for us just like he prays for... Uh, for all the people of the church, and that's a great thing to remember when you're struggling. Uh, we're in a team, so uh, we have our own pastors, and if you don't have a pastor, we encourage you to find one. Um, a pastor, a, someone we can also confess to, uh, a good doctor, uh, good medical help that extends beyond that if you need that sort of help. Um, there's bishops in the church, there's a whole there's, there's lay leaders who, who pray for their pastors and church workers and support them and encourage them. So uh, there's a whole team around us. And uh, when the pressure comes on, sometimes we isolate ourselves. We, 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 we withdraw uh, from that team, from the very team that God's given us to sustain us and, and help us. Um, so I guess that's, a, that's a, a a final word. And when I think about bringing that sort of stuff together, Hebrews 12 Comes to mind where it talks about um, uh, you know, looking to Jesus, the, the pioneer and perfecter, who endured again, mm. endured the hardship of the cross. Uh, and in looking to him, we may not lose heart and be discouraged. Mm. Uh, in looking to him, we find that uh, encouragement of not only our Saviour, um, but also the one who walks with us
0: in our ministry to other people. Mm. Well, that's our discussion for today on a healthy church and healthy ministry. In the comments below today, I'd encourage you to put your comments about what do you think makes for a healthy church? What do you think makes for a healthy ministry? And if you've enjoyed this video, please do hit that like button. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, please do that. Dr. Pfeiffer, good to have you on today.
1: Thank you, Joshua. My son. <laughs>
0: Okay, hey, now before you head off for today, we're back for the bonus lightning round with my father. Um, and so, as quick as we can, Dad, if you were an animal, what would you be and why?
1: Uh, I should be a tiger because I'm back for the <laughs> Richmond Tigers, but uh, once someone said to me, I'm like a bulldog because when I latch onto something, I don't let go. Right.
0: <laughs> yes, that is true. I haven't heard that <laughs> story before. Um, But you are affectionately becoming known in some circles as the Tiger of Old. Yes, that's right. So Australian rules football supporters might get that. Uh, Favourite movie?
1: Uh, Favourite movie. It's got to be the Bourne trilogy.
0: Right. Which is not one. It's a trilogy, but... Uh, Ultimatum. No, that's the last one. Identity. Supremacy, identity, ultimatum. Mm. Um, Favourite band or musician? Uh... I don't really have a favourite band. I'm not
1: really into music very much, am I?
0: I think I, um, I think I, I, I think got... I crossed this one off the list, and then I'd brought the wrong <laughs> list. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favourite place in the world, and why? Um, two or three come to mind. It's
1: hard to differentiate. Mm. Uh, Fluro Peninsula, Goulwa, many great family holidays down there. Uh, growing up on the farm, so my family farm, great Where great was that? Little place called Barook in the Riverland in South Australia. Uh, and when I think about overseas, I think London. I always think London. I
0: love <laughs> London. Um, probably my favourite city. I think. There you go. Mm. Um, if you had to sing karaoke, what song would you pick? Cats in the Cradle. Okay. <laughs> um, and um,
1: what's the worst job you've ever had? You're not, you're not without words very often, but you're nearly <laughs> worth it. Worst job I've ever had, well, uh, uh, I think putting lids on margarine containers at, uh, as a holiday job.
0: And um, what is margarine for those hipsters? <laughs> They're only natural products and that sort of thing. It's a bit like butter. <laughs> <laughs> it's yellow like butter, yeah. Is um, um, a little bit more a serious one. What, what's a book um, that we all should read that we probably haven't read?
1: That could be a very serious question, but you may not like my answer Mm -hmm. because it's the Book of Heroic Failures. And the Book of Heroic Failures was written in the late uh, 70s to highlight uh, human inadequacy. Hmm. uh, Do you remember the author? A guy called Stephen Pyle, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, he he, um, got rejected by his followers because the book was a bestseller. And uh, so that was considered to be... (laughs) Considered not to be a failure, Uh, it's an interesting story, go and read it. But I read the book and it's a great laugh, but it's also a great reminder, I think, of where, uh, of how we sit as people before an almighty God who actually
0: carries this this world in his hands. There you go, put it on your list, folks, the book of heroic failures. Um, What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? um,
1: Look after your family. Mm. They are a gift from God, and you're a steward,
0: and I thank God for the uh, Lutheran teacher who gave me that advice. Mm. Mm. Especially elder sons. <laughs> um, and um, if you could get last one, if you could go back in time and speak to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him?
1: I don't think it would really matter, because he wasn't listening <laughs> to anyone in those days, even himself. Right. Yeah.
0: Very good. <laughs> Well,
1: thanks again. (laughs) Okay, thanks, (laughs) Geoff.